Welcome to Life on Mars, a podcast about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation. You will listen to stories of the best founders, inventors, experts, and celebrities from all around the galaxy. Hey, everyone. I'm Alex, CEO and founder of Marsbase, and I'm extremely elated to introduce you to our new podcast, Life on Mars, where we will be interviewing and learning from some of the most interesting people we've met in our entrepreneurial career. We've been running a development consultancy for six years now. Since early 2014, we have been working for a lot of different companies from all around the world, well, planet Earth, that is, partnering with others and organizing events, we organize conferences as well, and as entrepreneurs, we're constantly learning. And because of transparency being one of our core values, we thought it would be a great idea to share farther all of our learnings. We have been doing so in our blog, in our events, and when we speak in conference, so on and so forth. But we thought it would be great to take this to a new level. And what's a better idea than running our own podcast? So for this episode, we go back a couple of months when we were starting to get into confinement in certain countries. Some countries have been in quarantine. And basically what we have found is that a lot of people and companies were forced to adopt working from home with no prior preparation, no technical equipment, no training, and no clear guidelines from their companies. And so we thought that it would be a great idea to have one of the experts on remote working, uh, one person we truly admire, our friend Sergio Gago, who used to be CTO at Rakuten Europe and is now Enterprise VP at Naviga Global, to talk about remote, how to do it, how to implement it, security, communication, types of companies, what to do, what not to do. We had a, a conversation that lasted for longer than an hour, but we think it's still very relevant because today we have seen the announcement of Twitter telling their employees, you can work from home anytime you want. There's no rising to going back to the office and this will cause a revolution in Silicon Valley, right? And therefore to the rest of the world. If remote is the new normal, the landscape of working will change forever. So let's take a deep dive into remote working with our friend Sergio Gago. Hope you enjoyed this first episode. So uh, a little bit of introduction of Sergio, right? Uh, I met him at the very first Starpoint Barcelona event because at the time he was uh, working as CTO of Rakuten Europe. And um, and that event we were interviewing the, the, the what was the CEO of Rakuten in Spain, Marc Vicente. And we started talking then, and we we basically this relationship grew into a friendship. And basically, he's been really helpful uh, for us, introducing us to some speakers, gave us some clients and Marspace as well. He set up a, a similar company like ours many years before us, so he's been doing the digital nomad. He's published a couple books actually about it. He's an, a, scuba, a scuba diver instructor as well. He's been traveling around the world. He's been freelancing and running companies all over the world. He once was in a call with a client and a kangaroo appeared behind him on a camera. I wanted to start out by moving to remote. Seems easy, but it's not. A lot of people seem to feel that whenever they're doing remote is trying to replace the office, bring the office into their homes. Yesterday, DHH and Jason Fried from Basecamp, they had a two-hour long session online and they were, they, they were covering all of these topics. So a lot of my ideas come from that conversation. So how would be your approach for people who are doing this for the first time? I think the main difference from uh, what I've done in the past several times or what you guys at Mars Base have been, have been doing is that we have done it because we want it. It was our, our own initiative. But now people is forced into it. But at least the ones who are lucky to, to be able to work remotely. So we had time to prepare. We had time to adapt. And we had time to get ready, not only ourselves, our clients, our colleagues, 
And that takes time and, and adaptation. But since it was our own decision, we could do it our, at, at our own pace. Today, the story is a bit different. People is forced to do this and in a very abrupt uh, way. So they have to, to adapt very quickly, not just people, the employees, the ones at home, but also the companies as a whole and the clients, the partners, providers, everyone. The first thing is that it is okay to slow down things for a little bit until we all adapt and uh, to do a lot of trial and error. And this is what everyone says at the end of the day. What works for me doesn't necessarily have to work for you. The main difference is in a big company, what works for me has to work for everyone. So we need to adapt better in terms of communication, time zones, cultural uh, differences, and so on and so forth. The second part that I want to mention is that it's actually a different thing working remotely than working from home, especially because one thing is being in one different place of the world every week or every month. And a different one is being able to set up your own little home office where you can put things exactly the way you want them in order to uh, make the transition smoother. There's also two big differences, I would say. One is whether you have kids or not. <laughs> and, and it's actually a very big one. Uh, I'm sure most of you saw, uh, I think it was last year or a couple of years ago, this video of this journalist who was doing a conference at home and then suddenly the kid yeah. ran into the place. I love that video because it explained exactly how the situation is for most of us, working from home or working remotely, and the additional difficulties that we have. And a lot of you uh, who have kids or family at home or, or other responsibilities, and we all have lots of stuff in our heads now, what's going on, the quarantine, all these kind of things. We do have to, um, to cater for, for those specific specificities. So with all these things in, in, in consideration, for me, the first thing is taking things as low, and yeah. evaluating very often. So I could say for me, what works the best is making sure I have a work profile and a home profile in my computer. I'm talking about different user profiles in my computer. So I clearly uh, make a difference when I'm working and when I'm on my own time. Even if you can have one home office for work-related activities, and then when you're just playing uh, video games or chatting or doing any, or Facebooking, you go somewhere else. Make sure that your brain understands you are in different spots. But again, those are things that work for me. What I've been doing over the years has been trying one thing and then evaluating whether that works for me. Great. One very common technique is Pomodoro, uh, which is uh, setting some either kitchen clock or any of the many tools that you can install on your computer to have 20 or 25 time slots where you're focused on one task, five minutes a stop, and then every three or four Pomodoros have a 20 minutes a stop. And all the different combinations, people do 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 60 minutes. Uh, for me, Pomodoro doesn't work, but it does work for a lot of people to make sure that while at home, when you have maybe a PlayStation just one meter away, or uh, your kids are starting to uh, cry or something like that, you make sure you're fully focus on, on your step. What I would say is you need at least a couple of weeks to try out all these techniques or all these formats. Make sure you get dressed. Make sure you uh, get into the mood even. If possible, not go out of the street or at least nowadays, but leave your home office. Do a few rounds as yourself. Try to at least walk 50 meters within your house and then sit on your computer and start working. Make sure you dress the same way you would dress into the office. If you had to go to wear the, the unfortunate case of a suit and, and a tie, well, why not? If you would uh, take any other clothes, just 
go without clothes, but never ever work in your pajamas. <laughs> I actually dressed up for this uh, call. I wouldn't be able to <laughs> teach you otherwise. <laughs> no, but that's a really good point. I was making a point this morning on Facebook um, and on Twitter, especially that everybody seems to be an expert on remote working nowadays just because they've been 48 hours confined or 24, right? I was like, great. Just don't try to spread the word of your truth is absolute. Different things don't work for different people, right? Uh, for instance, some people, they do use Pomodoro. Maybe it doesn't work for you. Or having a separate room, that's the work room, right? But it doesn't work for me. I'm working from my living room. And that's where I have got my office. But I don't need a separate room. But I know a lot of people need it. Or some people need to work from a working space. Working remotely doesn't doesn't necessarily mean working from home. I wanted to touch on something really specific because maybe we'll be talking more and more and especially a lot about tech and we're more prepared than anybody. You know, even designers, marketers and developers are super prepared for that. What's your advice from people who are not into tech and who are not especially tech savvy? There's no way around it. Uh, we're going to have to adapt. But yeah. for me, the most important thing is not how you do your work, but how you perceive others' work, how you build a trust, and how yeah. you build coordination with other people. I'm talking about believing that on the other side, people is actually working. Yeah. And this kind of things in, in that, that happen to be in the office. But now we have all this distance. So you're right, in the software industry, we, had, we have a bit of advantage because we've been doing this for a longer time. Other uh, roles in the company or even other, other industries were possible. We'll have to adapt. So for me, the most important thing is the company culture that you create within your group. Whether you're a freelancer and it's your own culture, a small company with five, 10 people or a big corporate and how you spread the word that you need to work in a culture of trust where you can also track KPIs and make sure things get done. Because at the end of the day, the business needs to keep going. But you need to trust people. You need to trust that someone at home is actually doing some work and not playing PlayStation. I think that is the main gap that the, the other roles in the companies will have to go through. Teamwork. How to do the, the stand-ups that scrum teams are very well used to, to do. Uh, how do you do that in, in sales teams or marketing teams that some do, but some others are not that, that well used to it. How do you organize your day in terms of calls or video conferences and time differences? The, the, the old mindset of, I'll go to the office, put my work hat, start doing stuff, and then that's it, is gone. But also the old mindset of, if I see you sitting in your chair, it means you're working. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a whole change from synchronous work into a synchronous work. One thing that, that's really important to touch on here is you will not get it right the first day. You and I have been doing this for well over 10 years now. So we might be biased and we see that everything is super easy. One important thing I wanted to convey and to, and to send to everyone is that when I started doing this like 13 years ago or even 15 years ago when I started doing remote, I was like, I, I wasn't even, I didn't even know that was called remote, right? And a lot of things didn't work. They were not adapted. We're super lucky now that we have all this technology and, 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 and things in place. But but even at the time, like the first days, weeks, I was not communicating right. I was not answering emails when I should have. I was not taking calls when I should have. I was not setting expectations. So if you right now have transitioned from a non-remote work-friendly environment into an all-remote that is going home with family, with children, with a house that is not prepared, you maybe don't have the office material, you don't have access to your software or to your, even to your computer because it's a, it's a it's a desktop computer 
at work or you require special access, whatever, don't freak out. Companies know they will slow down for a bit and you will have time to figure it out. We're all figuring this out together. I thought it would be great to talk a little bit about the non-tech people because they are the less prepared for this and they're the ones who are freaking the fuck out actually. So That's how right. about, for instance, people who have, whose companies, they are using like all desktop computers they're still sitting in the office. They don't have like VPNs in place or work, uh, or like processes or documentation or access through remotely. How do, would you advise these companies to do a, like a really slow transition to make this happen? My, my first advice would be to ditch those uh, desktops and buy laptops right away because that, 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 that is already an investment for the future. We don't yeah. know how long this is going to last. Yeah. But what we know is that, or what I believe at least, is that this will bring remote to stay. So this will be a before and after on comp- in, in, in companies' cultures where remote was uh, not a thing or, or, or was a taboo. So my first advice would be ditch those desktops and then go straight into, into laptops. Big corporations would have things like thin clients where uh, the only thing you need is a, is a very small thing like uh, or Chromebooks or stuff like that where everything is on the cloud. And that is the way to go. Make sure that, uh, and I think it's related to one of the questions, security. Make sure that all the data uh, has a proper governance system. This is a lot of, uh, of work on the IT teams. How yeah. do you make sure the data doesn't go out? Uh, Cybercrime is, is under control. One of the things that remote work brings or work from home, like they bring your own device, a uh, trend was uh, some time ago, is that it opens doors in, ter- in terms of security. If you don't do it right, depending on how big uh, your company is and how critical your data is, you might have some problems. So ditch those desktops, make sure you have laptops with a proper VPN installed and stuff like that, and make sure that all the data is properly backed up in the company servers in the cloud, but that there is nothing really on those laptops or on on people's computers. Mm -hmm. Many companies, because this had to be done on on a rush, have been asking employees to use their own laptops or their own computers at home. And yeah. I think that is fine. That is okay because the computer itself today is the commodity. It's just a place where you hammer your keyboard. But, but there the data are security today, issues, right? Security. Exactly. Issues. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not that difficult today to implement those policies. If you use Google Apps, for example, you make sure that everything is on uh, the share folders on Google Drive, that is on, on Google Spreadsheets, uh, Google Docs, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Microsoft has exactly the same, the same tool set. So there are plenty of tools around where you can avoid putting that uh, spreadsheet on your desktop and then forget about it. But yeah. if you realize about this, it's not that different from the office culture. What if today you have a company with 20 people, everyone with their own desktop computer, with their own tower, and documents in their desktop or in any folder that are not backed up? It is exactly the same situation. The actual physical place where that computer is located inside an office or inside someone else's house for me, it's irrelevant. This is more a uh, IT governance uh, concern that goes beyond working remote. One of the things, actually, that's a really good point, and it brings me to one question I wanted to ask. A lot of companies, when transitioning to remote, they instill the culture of fear, right? It's like, wow, all my employees are now remote. I cannot see them. How do they know they're working? And they are installing not only time tracking software, but like monitoring software. So software that takes like, uh, screenshots of your screen every 10 seconds, something like that, or uh, requires you to perform certain actions just to know that you are there. So what's your view on that? So yeah. This is nothing new. There, there's a few 
uh, freelancer marketplace, online marketplaces uh, in the world that have been very active and, and very successful, Odesk, uh, Elancer, uh, and freelancer.com, sites yeah. like this. And most of them do have this kind of monitoring software uh, because, of the, because of trust. If you're hiring a freelancer in a, in a low-income country to save some bags from freelancers, some people would want the assurance of getting the work done. And for them, yeah. maybe it's not enough to see the actual work process or, or see the actual output. This was, has been very common in the software industry when managers do not understand the process and the output of the work we have been doing. Again, it's, it's not a matter of remote or non-remote. If yeah. your manager doesn't have this mindset, it will be very difficult to change unless you put very specific measures in place to make sure that those KPIs, OKRs, or anything you want to show are done the right way. So one of the things that I've been seeing people doing for a long time is applying the Scrum in different roles and industries than software. So what yeah. Scrum does is a is a with the with the dailies uh, the daily standups with the retrospects the plannings and, and and so on and so forth where you do Scrum bot or any other modality that you like. At the end of the day, is ways of following up with trust, giving people autonomy. And, uh, and the capacity to make decisions, but at the same time being able to follow up. I've, I've seen a lot of people in marketing teams, sales teams, starting to do this kind of daily standups in order to build this trust. Now, the same way that we, we need time to adapt to the remote work, companies, managers, CEOs uh, do need time to adapt to this and to learn to trust their teams. Now, if a CEO or a manager doesn't trust their team, I think they don't trust their team in the office or at home. And that is a problem by itself. It's a cultural so maybe It is cultural, yeah. And, and maybe it's a wake-up call to perhaps change company or try to change that company culture. So remote work does put a, a new level of difficulty into that because this guy or girl is not seeing, hey, what, what's going on? What, why I don't see my guys. Are they sitting? I remember a few companies in the past who did, uh, did have a policy for the remote workers of having the camera always on. And th this was in, on a pre-Slack time. So I have, some were using Hipsa at the very early, early days or Hangouts. But people was having the policy of having the camera always on. Yeah. And if you think about it, it kind of tries to bring the office into the house. But that is the wrong concept. You're not, you, you don't have to bring the office. You have to change completely all your, all your processes. You can trust in the process of people checking in and checking out. You I'm have a very example of, of really bad company culture, which is I've even been in a meeting where the, like, the company required the employees to bring sunglasses on because that reflected their screens. <laughs> right? Because in, in, a, like in, in a remote call, you... People would be like chatting or doing other stuff, and you wouldn't know. But like with sunglasses on, there's no way to, no way to do. It. Sorry, I interrupted you. Well, bro. I want to bring it, that it's up. a way of doing pair programming, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it all boils down to company culture at the end of the day, right? If they don't trust you by doing remotely, probably they didn't trust you in the first place in the office. But just because you're there, there's a like some layer of trust, and. Another thing that, that's really relevant now is probably, you know, because companies are not prepared for this super remote or hard remote environment, you wouldn't have hired the same kind of people. Some people are really trustable to work in an office, but they are not to be trusted uh, working remotely just because they have different, you know, personalities or ways of behaving, right? Just because you wouldn't have hired them in a super, in a, in a, in a full remote environment, now you're 
forced to work with them, not only for the workers or the employees, but also for the managers. Let me give you one example. So sales teams have been traditionally always out and about, right? In, in, yeah. in most companies, the salesman and saleswoman have yeah. been on their car, on their phone, visiting clients. You seldom see them in the office, maybe for one meeting a week or something like that, right? Especially on, on, on in outbound companies where they sell stuff. And yeah. this is not a surprise for anyone. I was like, hey, where is this sales guy? I'm sure he's having dinner with the client just as like enough. Sales teams have very specific KPIs with quadrants and all that. And sales managers, sales directors have had this under control for years. Yeah, It's a very mature role in the remote work thing. It's just that we didn't call it remote. It's just the traveler salesman. In many cases, we, we, you, we used to think, hey, we software developers can't teach the world about working remote. I think that's not right. Sales teams can teach the world about how to work remote because they've been traveling the world, uh, being everywhere, or support teams and stuff like that. Those have been the the, the ones that spearhead in the um, the remote work. But we didn't call it remote. We called it we go and see a client, and we see five clients a day. Or support. And, uh, Usually, support is not even in the same office. You got like a really small office in in a cheaper area of town or something like that. There's uh, the support guys, and and they're never in the office. How how do you know they work? How would you, as a manager, right? Let's let's assume most of our audience tonight are entrepreneurs. They've got startups. Let, let's call it like twenty to fifty people maximum. Um, a lot of these people are not prepared for remote work. How would you advise them to go about it? Like, what kind of Books can they read? Trainings? Uh, what kind of best practices can they adopt from from today, from right now? The main skill that you need to work, uh, no matter your industry, role, skill set, the, the main skill that you need to work on when you go remote is communication. Make sure that your communication is straight, direct, but also assertive, that you have the this famous now concept of radical candor, if you will. So that, that book, Radical Candor, could be one uh, one one good advice. Uh, it's about communication. And we see this. My main message today is that working remote is really not that different from being in an office. Look at how you worked in the office, how you were slacking a colleague that maybe you didn't even see that day. You didn't cross in the coffee machine, but you're still working with that person through Slack or a video call. How many people in companies with uh, different offices connect to a web conference from the same location yeah. Just sitting in different places. And then yeah, we have five people connecting from the Barcelona office, five people connecting from the New York office, and, and so on and so forth. Or different so floors. Have, right? or different floors. Yeah, exactly. So we have been doing remote work already. Yes. But I think yeah. commuting. What we're yeah. doing today is remove the commuting and remove the hassle of going into the same place. And we had these problems. How many times we have replied uh, myself, right? Re- replied an email, maybe in an angry way or something, and then say, I should have done this by voice. Yeah. Because Slack messages, emails, lack context, lack a lot of a lot of information. So because we are remote, because we are at home, doesn't mean we can do we cannot do a very quick call to someone in the same way that we that we would go to to see someone uh, that is uh, 50 meters away provided that we don't remove their focus or something like this. So for me, the most important thing is acknowledging that we're lacking parts of the communication because of the channel, because of the, the, the technology. Even a web conference, even if we see our faces, we're lacking a lot of this context. We're lacking being able to go grab a beer after work 
And that is very important. I've been doing remote work for ages, but still I try to at least meet in person every single person of my team yeah. because that rapport that you create helps you moving, uh, moving forward. So this communication starts there, cross-cultural communication. If your company is big or we work with people from all over the world, the way I write in English, not being my native language, is completely different the way someone in the United States will understand that someone in Argentina or someone in Japan. When we are in the same place, maybe we fuck up with one message, but we can just say, hey, I'm sorry, and that is okay. You see my eyes, you see my face, you see that the channel is being adapted. But on a Slack message, you didn't get that. The other set of books that I would recommend are, are the, the, the ones from Basecamp, of course, all, all the, the, the trilogy of remote work. But yeah. other than that, as we were saying at the beginning, whatever works for you doesn't have to work for somebody else. But the main backbone is communication. One thing that uh, I think most people don't realize is when you're working in a remote-friendly environment, let's say your company requires you to be in the office, but you've got some like freelancers doing remote or the, you know, the DevOps guy being remote, you create first and second class citizens, right? That's a really important concept. What does that mean? Where the majority of the people is, that's where everything gets decided. And the rest of the people get it later. And everything is decided, right? You will decide things in the office and then you will send an email to the ones not in the office. Look, we decided this or the company retreat is going to be there. We voted this last Friday. So in other words, fuck you. You're invited to come, but you do the decide, right? Um, so um, one thing that I think it's good or that we can take away from this circumstance right now is that we're all in the same boat now. We're all first-class citizens or second-class citizens because I think people will not be gathering to decide things, right? It's extremely important, even in this situation right now where everybody works from home, one of the things that's really good practice for companies doing remote is communicate always to everyone at the same time. Because if you, if you tell somebody, like, let's say you build a, like a product feature, right? And you decide, of course, you can agree on some things with the designers, but it's a major thing or a company thing, a structural thing. Send an email to everybody and then jump one-on-one and, and start uh, asking, answering questions and all of that. But if you tell first one team because you were talking to them, oh, by the way, we have decided this. Now I'm going to tell the other teams I've got in this other call. And then at the end of the day, I'm going to send the email to everybody. That sucks. That sucks because you feel left out if you're on the other end, right? What other so, good practices have you got in terms of uh, mass communication? I think there are only two types of companies, remote companies and non-remote companies. There is no such thing as being in the middle with freelancers or people who are working yeah. remote. Those people will always be second-class citizens. And there is no process that can avoid that. You can say, hey, I'm going to have an all-hands meeting here, or yeah. I'm going to make sure the communication goes through. But if the majority of your staff is, is still in the office, you have to count that most of what happens in one company happens between meetings, happens yeah. in a corridor. And, um, and that, is what, uh, that, that is exactly what is going on. Someone going to have a quick conversation with someone is, is like a network type of communication. So there is no such thing as have remote company. If yeah. you work remote for a company whose uh, majority of the staff is in an office, you're going to be a second-class citizen. Or at least I don't, I don't know the way to avoid that because it's, it's human nature. Yes. Uh, if we're in the same physical space, we're going to talk about what we had in a conference just 30 minutes ago. And that conversation that we have will modify uh, the outcome of the situation. And then there's always, always company politics and office politics and all these things that if you work in big companies, you, 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 you for sure are uh, aware of. Either you go fully remote and then you can have an office 
but make sure that every single thing is remote. And I mean, not have even conference rooms or meeting rooms. Yeah. Everything is done remotely. And the second thing is full transparency, fully public Slack channels, mailing lists that involve everyone and yeah. making sure that this transparency is there. We go back to company culture. So when, when, when you have a manager sending an email only to a few people in the, in the team, doesn't matter whether you're remote or not, that is already creating these kind of classes. Transparency and deciding what type of company you are, fully remote or not remote. But don't lie yourself and try to be something in the middle. But there's another classification here. It's fully synchronous companies and asynchronous companies. The main difference being, you know, synchronous companies, you all have got overlapping schedules and you're expected to be doing more like what you said, either live coding, so uh, code uh, pair programming, or chatting all the time, or being on calls, sharing screen all the time. And asynchronous organizations who usually like span over uh, a broader range of time zones and they prefer written communication in an email or a base camp thread or, or something more like thought through than chatting. I, I know your answer, but which one do you <laughs> think is the better to adopt for a company that is right now accepting this reality? Let's forget about remote work for a second. Yeah. Let's assume that there is no big fuck up in the world. There is no coronavirus and everyone yeah. is going to the office and doing their eight to five office shift. Let's assume you have your engineering team doing their things. The rest of the company doesn't really understand completely what they're doing. And then you have some kind of request that you need a new feature or something that a client brought in and you need it done, right? You would go to the first engineer you find uh, sitting there and you would say, hey, can you do this for me now? Do you think that would work? That's actually how a lot of companies are structured. Like I always give the same example, which is I remember in my previous company, we were using Microsoft Exchange. And you know, there's a delay between you send an email and the other <laughs> person receives it. So one of my managers would always send me an email about, hey, we need to do this now. He would come to my desk Tap me on the shoulder. Hey, have you everybody? I would be like, <laughs> no, dude, it's arriving now. And ping, you know. <laughs> so this is something that in software we've been fighting for for a long time, right? To yes. make sure that this doesn't happen. And again, forget about remote work. 20 years ago, we 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 realized it's not good, and that's why we have different planning processes, different methodologies, whether agile or not agile, the, the different ways of organizing this. This is why we have project managers, product managers, program managers. We have all these rules to make sure we organize our, our work in a, in a coherent way, way and mature way so we can make sure that we focus on what matters to the company and yeah. not just in the last urgent thing that someone thought about. So now translate this concept into remote work. Isn't it the same thing? Would you just go on Slack and say to the first engineer, hey, could you do this for me now? Probably the answer would be, hey, could you, if this is urgent, could you please open a Jira ticket? Oh, yeah. God bless, not, not Jira. Could you open a ticket or maybe could you uh, ask uh, the, the, the product owner of this product? We have already processes for this to make sure that we work on, uh, we, we make a difference between the urgent and the and the critical and the, and the, and the important and to make sure that we don't get interruptions like this. And back into the sales uh, team, you wouldn't go to the sales guy who is in Madrid and tell him, hey, a client just called, could you go and visit him in Vigo? Yeah, that's a good example. Probably not. He would say, hey, you know, next week I'm going to be in, the, in, in North Spain so I can schedule a meeting with him. So it's exactly the same thing. I don't think fully synchronous companies should exist anymore. So in that sense, all the processes that we've been working especially in the software industry, but also in marketing and sales and, yeah. and, and, and all the business areas work exactly the same way now. When you're not in the office, non-trusting managers, 
expect you to reply the chat message immediately. Exactly. If you're not answering right now, it means you're not working. You go to, to someone's desk and he's not in his desk. He might be, or she might be in the toilet, having lunch. Or smoking. Or, no. Smoking or whatever, or having a meeting. It's, it's yeah. about trust. When, when companies start working remotely, they expect to, go, to, to make asynchronous processes, yeah. make them synchronous. Yeah. And this is what we need to make them understand, especially the managers, layers, and the CEOs, and, and the C's in general. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have a synchronous process before. So why should it be synchronous now? I, try, I, I tried really hard to understand why would a company adopt a fully synchronous model, right? And the only possible solution, of course, I'm biased because you know our company is 100% asynchronous. We're a super calm company. Nothing is SAAP, nothing is urgent and all of that. But I, I think the only, the only situation in which I would find it acceptable is when you're mentoring people, right? Or the first weeks when you're you know, onboarding new employees there, they need to be trained, they need to be mentored, they need to be, you know, gating or like picking up on new projects and methodologies and all of that. But outside of that, I think it really, it, it, makes, it makes no sense. We are back into the communication. Now, yeah. when you're working remote, in many cases, you will be more efficient because you yeah. will have less disruptions, but you also have to account for additional communication. You have to yeah, invest exactly. in more communication. When you did one-on-ones with your team members once every two weeks, maybe now you need to do them once a week. Yeah. Or even, or even on demand or more often. Uh, when a company did a town hall every five months, Maybe now you need to do them every 15 days. It doesn't have to be a town hall where everyone is in the same place or in the same conference room. Maybe it can be a properly redacted email or even a video. Yeah. Uh, people think that it's only uh, email or a web conference. You can record yourself and send a message and it already carries some weight into it. Uh, asynchronous video conferences. And that is perfectly all right because yeah. it takes more time for me to write properly the words I want to write in the way I want to convey them and to just jump, uh, record myself five minutes and say what I want to say in the way I want to say it. And people yeah. would say, yeah, I'm smiling or I'm angry. I, we didn't hit the sales uh, target for this quarter. And that is more difficult to put an email. So you maybe might be more efficient uh, by working at home, by reducing a lot of overhead that you had in, in an office, but you have to make sure you overspend or overinvest in communication. Even yeah. if it is only to say, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? Fine. Awesome. Um, you look tired today. Are you okay? Fine. See you later. On one side of the spectrum, you've got the over-communicative companies that are super synchronous and they are constantly bombarding you with notifications and with mentions on the chat and all of that. So you're constantly interrupted, right? On the other side, there's people who take it to the other extreme and never communicate at all. And that's also not good, right? I think that the, the, the balance, the perfect balance, if you were to ask me, is that because you never communicate synchronously, when you use it, you know it's important, right? If I've got somebody in the team who says like, hey, I need to speak now, I, I know it's important. He's going to be a dad or he's quitting the company or he's having an issue with the client, something like that. But he wouldn't pay me to say like, Hey, can you check this uh, email for me? Or can you check this task now? It doesn't really make sense. There's a, there's a balance and it's hard to find it. It comes with time. One other question that I've got is what do you think about live rooms like Discord or Tandem? What do you think about these tools? Let's talk about the, the tools. The, the, the whole Office suite, so SharePoint, Office 365 and whatnot. Uh, we use Slack and uh, we use Zoom as well for, for communication. And I, I think that's pretty much it. And we have some, some internal systems for HR, for tracking staff and, and whatnot, uh, like 
uh, stuff for clients. Yeah. Uh, but the main thing for communication is, I, I honestly think that the stack itself doesn't re really matter. It's, it's about how you use it. Are you using Slack or Hangouts? It has its pros and cons. I think Slack over uh, notifies you. The email is the email. There's there's no no, no way around that, unfortunately, or at least uh, no, no one has come with a, the bright idea on how to revolutionize the the email. Uh, if you if your work is making PowerPoints uh, and Excel spreadsheets like mine, uh, it doesn't really matter if you use Google or or Office. We we recent recently went from uh, uh, Google to Office migration, and of course, when people is used to one system, there's going to be some friction to move to another one. But again, it's how you use it. I'm really agnostic to the stack as long as it works uh, and, and the, the, the information is in the cloud and in a secure way. Uh, you have to make sure that, especially for onboardings and offboardings, the process is very, very thorough. So in companies, companies that don't have a very well-defined onboarding and offboarding process, not only from the HR perspective, but also from the IP perspective, which permissions this person needs to have, uh, which systems needs to access and whatnot, then if you don't have it, you need to create one. So your IT team is probably one of the key teams in your remote transformation. If your company is big enough or, or need to take really good care of security, you need to use some kind of central authorization system. So tools like Okta, OutZero and whatnot to make sure that you just click one in one place and that person who just left the company doesn't have any, any more permissions or any more accesses. If the person is, is a DevOps or system administrator, then the process is completely different. You need to make sure you have a very thorough process on removing keys, removing accesses, uh, roles, permissions, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, is having checklists. Checklists for pretty much everything. Onboarding, this, 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 and that. Uh, team onboarding. Hey, there's a new marketing intern on this team, or a new developer, front-end developer for this team. There's a new salesperson for this team. These are the things that you need to do. Documenting stuff, not necessarily about how we do things, but what we have to do is one of the things that can be important, especially if your company is big or if you have a lot of processes. How many times? I'm sure many of you have joined companies and were put on a, on a chair and say, there you go. Now, do some work, whatever you do. So again, it's not different. The only difference is that before when, when, when that happened to you, if you were lucky, you had a colleague sitting next to you who would say, don't worry, I'll guide you, right? So something that is very useful and especially in remote companies, and you, you briefly mentioned that before, is uh, having a mentor. Making sure that when you join a remote first company, you have someone who will be accompanying you uh, for at least a few weeks uh, to make sure that you're there. Because when you're new to a company, and you're sitting at home having someone uh, who can doesn't have to be the, your manager necessarily. Actually, it's better if it's not your manager, but having someone who can show you the, all the in and outs of the company, the little things, who's who, who to, someone to, to, to remind you what are the things. Hey, what was the name of the guy? I don't, I'm, I'm too shy to ask again. All these yeah. kind of things that in, in an office are not a big deal. But when you're at home, things get a bit, a bit more, more, more tough. It's it's more easy to get to get stuck on something, right? Let's shift to to security. Now that we were mentioning tools, what would be like the bare minimum that companies should implement? So a, a VPN might not be really necessary if you have everything on the cloud. Uh, yeah. So the VPN is necessary if you have to access company resources that are on uh, Amazon Web Services or a zero place or something like this. So yeah. if your team needs need to access these places, definitely you need a VPN. 
uh, that connects to a bastion, which is the main bottleneck or main funnel, so you can get access or not to those places. Yeah. But if you don't do that, if you're, I don't know, there are design agencies that don't need that, really. Uh, so not, I, I've seen in the last few weeks that lots of companies are setting up VPNs like crazy. That, that, was, uh, that was true when we had in every office a small rack with a small server with, the, with a data and whatnot, an active directory and stuff like that. And if your company is still like that, then definitely you need that VPN and that setup. But if you're a leaner company, maybe you don't need a VPN. You mentioned one that is very important, a password manager. I think that a password manager is important for yourself and, uh, and making sure that everything has two-factor authentication. If your company can afford it, a centralized authorization system, where it's with an active directory, a, play, a system like Okta or similar, is really useful to uh, keep the governance of your, of your platform. Those tend to be expensive, but it, it really saves you from, from a bad day. I think now all the Mac uh, computers come with encryption by default, but Again, you need, if you have a PC, you make sure that you uh, all your data is encrypted. Yeah. Because you might be moving with your computer from there and there. And uh, what you don't want is people to uh, enter your account and start getting access to the, um, exactly. uh, to the information. And then making sure that all your uh, stuff is in the cloud. How to secure that stuff in the cloud is a completely different conversation, right? Making sure that the governance accesses and whatnot on those places is done the right way. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, several years ago, I think it was like seven years ago, Someone broke into our office and they yeah. took all our laptops. I remember, uh, I was uh, we were having a meeting that day and we arrived and you're <laughs> like, uh, we're not having the meeting because we have no office. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But, but this is a story that happens to many people, unfortunately. Uh, people can break into your office and take your laptops, desktops, and whatnot. And actually, that was two days before Black Friday and we were an e-commerce company. So yeah. That was... We, we even thought it was uh, uh, spionage or something like this. Anyway, yeah, the point is that losing data can happen to you both remote and in an office. So what I'm, what I'm saying here is exactly the same governance that I would apply in a non-remote environment. Password management, an Active Directory-like type of system. If you don't like Microsoft, you can use your Google, uh, your Google Apps account for, for the same thing to make sure that you have one single entry access to your systems. Use, yeah. uh, you use single sign-on for everything. Do you use Jira and Confluence? Well, make sure you do, your accounts are connected through single sign-on or SAML or any other tools yeah. like this. The only thing you need to do when someone accesses, uh, the, when you do the offboarding, is remove your, uh, his Google account or his uh, user on Active Directory. Making sure there is a simple process where one, uh, one click to onboard, offboard someone. My, my only suggestion is not to do over, not, not to overkill, not to over-engineer things. If you're a ten-people company, probably you don't need one full IT person. In even really small companies, like what's required, like VPN, cloud backups, and whatever. It's like, well, first get basic things right. Is every employee using a strong password on their Mac? Because a lot of people are not. They're using zero, 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 or something like one, two, three, four. Are people accessing? their work uh, tools like Slack or Trello or GitHub using their personal email? Because if so, their personal email probably has got a shit password. So it's really, really easy yeah. to have with really small companies. And if you don't get this right, you don't need a VPN, you don't need single sign-on, you don't need anything. The main security threats are exactly. social engineering threats, phishing and the likes. If you over-engineer your processes, what might happen is that your people will go around exactly. those, uh, those firewalls or those problems in order to uh, be able to do work. So it's this kind of balance of 
how I am efficient at work, but at the same time, uh, make sure that I have proper security. So it, it, it's all about that. I've seen companies connecting to, through a VPN to a secure location and then having time machine doing backups of all their computers. And then yeah. that time machine was logged in under one account. And then they had multi-factor authentication device to access the, the root account of their servers. That worked for them and it was secure or secure enough at least. If you have data that is important to someone, it's likely someone will try to get inside and, and, and get it. The yeah. weakest link is us people because we can be fooled, we can be uh, lied upon, we can... VPN, well, yes, if you have servers, absolutely, you need, a, you need a VPN, but not just the VPN. You need a whole setup in your infrastructure to make sure that even if your VPN gets compromised, you have other, other processes in place. I've seen companies that had super secure process with firewalls, VPNs, and whatnot, but then they have one ba one load balancer completely open to the public. So. Yeah, or a password and a post-it note on your desk wall, right? <laughs> like, exactly, like, oh, exactly. A really simple thing is to force people to change their passwords every a few months. But some companies don't even do that. They don't even do the basics, right? So, and, and it's free. It's automatic. When you set up your Active Directory, your, your Google Enterprise yeah. account, you, you put that, a minimum password, 10 characters with the digits and whatnot. Whatever. And uh, change every three months. Why not using it? How to comply with GDPR and security compliance if you move literally overnight into a new environment where your company is not prepared for that? So how would you go about it? Or is it okay to kind of like work around it for a couple of days while you fix it? So I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so I cannot speak with a full confidence about this. But, but if I'm not mistaken, near GDPR or the the, the newest California Act law, and they don't tell, they don't ask about where your employees are. What they tell us is your employees won't see or PCI compliance. Your employees will not see credit cards from customers. No, yeah. Or if your employees see specific data from your customers, you have to provide them training on how to use it and where are you storing that data. Yeah. So GDPR tells you, don't get a database dump from your customer. Uh, from your customers and their physical addresses and send them on a spreadsheet through email to your colleague who's sitting next to you. That is what GDPR tells you not to do, if possible. Yeah, no, one thing is that would be the, or other compliance, like security compliance in health or in finance uh, requires you to define where that data will be stored physically and how you will access it, right? But if you have said my data will only be accessed on premise, from within my office, and all of a sudden, overnight, you got to move you know, outside of that, you will not update that contract. I think that the data will stay in the same place. If you have health data in your data center, it, yeah. will, st it will still be there. And your people will use VPN to access that data remotely. And yeah. then we'll have to comply with the same regulations of not spreading the data outside of where it's uh, legally confined to. So I think the same applies to it. The data will be in the same place. The infrastructure itself doesn't change. The only thing that changes is where we are located and the means that we use to access those places. So you're right with one thing, that is, if you're working with different levels of GDPR, then you do need to ensure, also with a SOC compliance, for example, in the, in the US, you need to ensure that you have very specific processes in place. Being yeah. VPN, one of those, but also uh, doing penetration tests every so often and yeah. security audits and uh, password changes. So GDPR actually asks you whether your uh, users are changing passwords. 
but it's not necessary. Uh, whether they use using VPN from home or from one room in the office. Sometimes it's not you who breaches into the you know, breaches into the into the compliance and all of that. It's uh, it's the client, right? For, so, for instance, for our, in our case, we work for many different clients. I remember this one situation where because we couldn't access, you know, the data in security, uh, so the database in, in production because of all the security layers and all that was super urgent bug and needed to be fixed because the company was losing like millions every minute, right? And uh, and they were like, you got to fix this. It's like, okay, we don't have access. They said, okay, I'm sending you the database over email, production database over email. That moment, we're like, what the fuck? Like literally the client broke all the rules. In our case, what we did is we reported that to our client. We stopped everything. So like, we know you're in this situation, but we're breaching the contract right now here. If we if we have this information, we need to deliver it right away, right? Sometimes it'll be like, yeah, yeah, just for now, but you can get into really, really big trouble. Have you faced any similar situation? And how, how have you dealt with it? Somebody like some employee uh, using production data and sending it over, I don't know, Slack. No, nothing like that, thankfully, never <laughs> happened to me. Something like, something to that level. In that case, you would have uh, probably need a, a certificate of destruction of that database. And then there are ways to, to get that data officially. You have to sign a specific contract. You have to notify, yeah. blah, 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 all these kind of uh, things. Uh, there are ways to bypass this situation so you, you could have get access to this database. But it's all about the infrastructure you have. Why would you need to share a whole database dump where you can put that database somewhere in the cloud and give people specific access for the specific actions they need to do. The main risk is people using customers' data to make sure they can do their work. I can imagine data dumps for marketing staff that are outside of the typical workflows. Uh, sometimes we have a bug in production that affected, I don't know, 10,000 users and we need to change things and we need access to those users, make changes and then apply them back. That's something that hopefully you don't have to do ever, but it has happened. And maybe those developers by the GDPR contract don't sh should not have access to that data. GDPR has problems with that when the when there's a data leak, yeah. not when you do that specifically. So yeah. you need to number one trust your people a lot if you really 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 need to do that, mm -hmm. and number two make sure that you clean up clean up after yourself. <laughs> if you give permission to someone for something that that person shouldn't have permission, make sure that you clean that afterwards and remove those permissions. That you destroy all the data. Um, so if, if you send a spreadsheet with 10,000 people data to someone, make sure that person at home removes that spreadsheet right after using it for whatever reason. In that, in, in that sense, let's circle back a little bit to, to communication. Communication in war times, you know, there's communication in peacetime. And we all know it's, you know, everything's good, everything's fine. Uh, you need to be super empathetic and, and all of that and, and the radical candor and all that. What about war times? It might be war times for people, layoffs, changes of expectation, not many KPIs. Like uh, I know a lot of e-commerce companies, unless they sell toilet paper, they're struggling. They're just not selling anything. People are not buying anything that's not fucking toilet paper. They're preparing for the worst. How would you go about it? Like, would you try to anticipate and over-communicate and set the expectations? Or what's the right moment to communicate the bad news? For me, the first thing is transparency. Now, of course, now we all understand the situation we are now, but it doesn't have to be necessarily the case all the time. Great. Uh, not, not only why we're doing this, but the process of making this decision. Because so, sometimes we say hey, we have situation A and we decided B, but there's a gap between 
those two things. This is the process we went through, the options we evaluated, why we discarded them, and why we reached uh, this point. Now, laying off someone is always painful and not always responds to uh, rational reasons. It doesn't matter whether you're remote or not. It's something that's always tough. Yeah. And even if you put all the points, even if it makes complete sense, it's going to be painful. There's nothing that can take that off the table. Uh, obviously, do it by video. Always don't do it by email, by a WhatsApp message or something like this that, that I've seen lately uh, people doing. What's a voice uh, message? And, and be fully transparent. People will react in different ways. But yeah. you need to, um, I think in these moments is where companies show the real selves, whether yeah. they truly take care of people, take care of clients, take care of shareholders, Correct. or profits. If a company is fully focused on, on shareholder value, again, it doesn't matter if they are remote or not. Yeah. When people, uh, companies that are, have a fully in-office set up before the crisis, they've been firing people in many wrong ways uh, for, a long, for a long time. This uh, all going remote give us a, gives us a chance to um, try to turn the, that around. With the over-communication that I've mentioned before, I don't think there is such a thing as uh, communicating too much. Unless someone goes and says, hey, buddy, shut up. I got it, all right? Trying to do by video. Trying to do, if you have to do layoffs, try to do as much as possible one-on-one. -on -one. Give people time to digest the information. Give people, people time to ask questions, to get all the, all the information out of it. Make sure you explain everything and all the options. Not, not assume anything. On remote, the problem with remote is that if you assume, you lose your chance on the communication channel. If you communicate something with someone, say, imagine a town hall where you go and communicate, hey, we have to lay off 50% of the, of, the, of the stuff. Yeah. After that communication, people will stay there. They will re, uh, reconfort the, each other. They will, they will speak to each other. They will talk. They might get follow-up questions. But remotely, you don't have that unless you force it to happen or unless you give people the chance. One thing I can bring up to this topic is that obviously we've had a difficult conversation with our sponsors at Starfrine because we had to cancel the events and move online. We had to cancel a conference that was a big part of the sponsorship for everybody, right? So one of the things I did, we I think we did right was we proactively called all of them. First of all, we said, is this affecting you? How can we help you? And the third thing was, hey, you need to know this. This is how you're going to be affected. Can we compensate in any other way? What can we do to compensate to give you back the value that you know, you pay for it. But anticipating the problem and being proactive and transparent and always willing to help, I think that would that would resolve a lot of situations, right? I know it's still not too late. We're still Wednesday, the first week of confinement, at least here in Barcelona. If you haven't talked to your clients or your investors or your employees about this, go on, do now. <laughs> now, now, just don't go to sleep before you do it, right? And, and remember that your bosses are also having a hard time. One of the specific things of the times we're living now is that we're all in the same boat. We're all having a hard time and this is only starting. Even if the infection recedes a little bit, uh, we're going to have a very hard time, pretty much all businesses, all companies, and not all, of the, not all companies will survive. We can be a bit more empathetic because we're all in exactly the same boat. This is not always the case. In some cases, we, we push people, we push clients or providers a lot and we don't understand what's going on on the other side because they don't tell us or because we don't know or because we are in a, in a completely different situation. Today, we're all either under quarantine 
or freaking out because of what's going on. Maybe some of us have someone infected, someone who's in the hospital, unfortunately. It's a moment of being united, being yeah. especially considerate, especially empathetic, adaptable, and having a lot of patience with uh, everybody. Let's wrap up with some quick questions and, and, and quick answers right now. First one is a question from our friend and team member, Nasia, and she asks, that she finds it difficult to work from home because she doesn't have the motivation. She's a fairly social person. And so therefore she needs that drive, that energy in the room and all that. And obviously she doesn't have this at home. And some of us, it's even worse because we live alone, right? Some people uh, live with their family or whatever, or they live with flatmates. But for those living alone, it's even more difficult to overcome this situation. What would be your advices for finding problems of motivation? People uh, used to do like, uh, thank, God, thanks God it's Friday gatherings or, or going out on Wednesdays, uh, going out for lunch. My suggestion is to keep those things remote as well. So if all you, all, if on Wednesdays, all your team would go together for lunch, That's a good one. just pick your lunch and have lunch with your team with the camera. Don't speak about work. Don't speak about anything related to your, what you do. Just have your lunch, chew, spit if you want, uh, but have a human conversation with your colleagues, exactly the same way you would have in a restaurant or somewhere else. Same, if you would go after work for beers, just yeah. grab a beer, grab a glass of wine or a bottle of wine and drink with your colleagues. These times are difficult because normally, if, even if you work remote, after working, you would go out and, and, and enjoy your day. Now it's a moment not just for remote workers, but for all people who are confined at home by yeah. themselves or, or uh, in difficult situations uh, who need desperately this uh, way of socializing. So keep doing the same things you were doing before when you were going to the office, except commuting, don't do that, but remote and have the same level of confidence. Again, over communicating. One thing that we did, for instance, I, you know, our company is 100% office list. But we meet every two months, right? In order to have a couple of days of hands-on sessions and workshops and whatnot, sharing PNL with the employees. We were supposed to do this last week, Thursday and Friday, right? Well, actually, it's only, only Friday. Thursday is more like, you know, we go only for dinner. So we decided to keep it and do it online. And the cool thing with it is we, we had our employees buy breakfast and pizza for lunch. And we paid for that. But we told everyone, just go grab it and jump online on a call, we're going to eat all together, right? Uh, it was a bit awkward at the beginning, but it's right, right on tune with what you said. Uh, have you got any policy on physical security for people working remotely? And what about shoulder surfing? I don't know the concept of shoulder surfing. You probably know it. So I, it would be my today I learned if you explain it to me. This is not necessarily a specific for remote work. I remember one case, one company had a data leak from someone uh, from um, someone from the finance team who was working on the train, and then the information of a merger got leaked out because someone shoulder looking at the screen. That actually was uh, was uh, was bad for the for the operation. Really uh, and he was just commuting to the office. The people that a lot of time are working on the train or or just having conversations on the phone that should be private. But there's you, you don't know who's listening. Now, being at home is slightly better. Yeah. It's kind of supposed that at home you are in a confidential environment, but you still need to take care of the, of the security with that, the encryption of the disks, making sure the data. For key people who are dealing with a specific data, uh, we uh, we try to give them it's like screen filters. So only you, you can only see what's on the screen if you're looking straight, but not from the angles. They go for 
10 bucks or something like this. It's not very expensive and it really works nice. It's about training as well. So this is the time to train your employees about cybersecurity. Yeah, it's also, it reminds me when I was working, one of my previous companies, we had like really shit laptops. You could only see the screen if you were, you know, right in front of it, but not because they had this protection layer. It's because they were shit screens, right? So maybe not paying a lot for laptops would be great for security. And uh, last question is, how did you convince your bosses that you were going full remote, fucking off to Latin America for, you know, no return ticket? (laughs) Well, actually, in, in the in the last time you interviewed me, I, I gave you guys a teaser uh, at the yeah. very beginning of the of the interview. It was not official yet. It was not official. It was not official, so I I, I was not able to communicate this. But my my agreement was that once for, at that time we were doing all the due diligence for for senior, and at that time that was my agreement with our former CEO. That once that process was done, I would just go on a sabbatical, and uh, and I wanted to I really wanted to um, uh, to do that. It was a done deal. So what I told the the Naviga CEO uh, when, when the acquisition was done was, look, this is going to happen. What I can do is commit to to everything we need to do and 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 uh, do what you need me to do for this process and 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 do it exactly the same way. Now, my last two months before starting the trip, even though we had an office, we have an office in in Barcelona. Yeah. I was not going to the office because I had a different role. So I was actually working from home, even though I had an office forty minutes away. So yeah. what is the difference being here in Peru or at home in Barcelona or in Bolivia or somewhere else? Exactly. As long as my manager trusts me on what I do, yeah. I do the work I'm assigned to and I am reachable. There is clear communication. The only difference is that at home, I could build my own home office in a nice way. I could just do the whole ritual that we were talking about before. And here, well, every day is different. That is, is, is the only difference. And you're in a super senior position, so which, uh, to a certain extent, it makes it even more difficult. You're not just a designer, right? You're enterprise VP at uh, Navita Global, which is a super big oh. company. So, you know. Y- yes, you know. And, yes and no. All right. At the end of the day, every day, for, for me, my day is speaking with people from all over the world. A designer might need more interaction with their direct colleagues. Be- being together physically, might be more efficient for the designer or for the developer or for the marketing manager than yeah. for myself. At the end of the day, what I do is talk. But you're a more critical role to the company and your decisions cost a lot of money if you don't get it right or right compared to a yeah, designer. But, yeah, but I, I don't do anything that requires physical interaction yeah. except one, one meeting or another meeting from time to time. The more executive you are, the more strategic decisions you have to make. To be honest, my day-to-day is speaking with people like you're doing now yeah. and yeah. building PowerPoints on Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Sergio. We are Mars-based, an all-remote consultancy from Barcelona, specializing in web and mobile development. We help all kinds of companies, from startups to big corporations, to conceptualize, design, and develop solutions for their business using technology. And now, how can we help you? 